we're doing the undone. We, we're doing a lot of things that have not been done before. So we need to all be patient with each other. And we need to continue having these conversations, continue to be uncomfortable. 2020 has made it clear that <laughs> she is shaking things up. So buckle up. <laughs> You are listening to the In Full Frame podcast. In Full Frame is the go-to resource for wedding professionals, featuring news from all across our industry and original articles from our industry's leaders. I'm your host, Lance Nicole, and you can find more on InFullFrame.com. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. Before I introduce our guest, I want to give a little bit of a backstory Uh, Recently, I listened to a panel uh, on race relations in the industry that was held by Engage. This was a Zoom call with 15 panelists, 12 of them were people of color. I thought that there were some good questions that were asked, thought there were even better answers that were given, but I also walked away feeling like it was short, that there needed to be more, and that the conversation that I think a lot of people were hoping to have, we didn't get to or that they didn't get to. So I reached out to some of my friends and the person that we're speaking to today um, immediately agreed to jump on a call and I'm very appreciative of that. Um, So today we're speaking with Fallon Carter. Fallon is one of the world's top wedding planners. She has been a speaker at Engage. And in my opinion, um, her Instagram stories are unrivaled. So Fallon, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. I'm great. And I'm kind of ready to get back to my normal shenanigans on the stories. But thank you for that. I am fine. And I hope you guys are as well. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the racial divide in the wedding industry perceived and real. Um, Yesterday, we spoke a little bit and I know we're going to get a little bit into your backstory. I want to preface also with that. um, You know, it's a conversation. You can ask me anything as well. And I think that we probably have different experiences, um, most likely, definitely. So um, I I definitely want it to be a dialogue. And I want the benefit of this to be what we talk about, but also that other people feel comfortable with having these conversations and reaching out to their friends and and talking about things that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, But I first wanted to have you share something that you shared with me yesterday. We spoke for a little bit and you gave me a piece of advice that one is that was one of the best things that anyone's told me in the last few days. It really gave me some clarity. So when we began our call yesterday, um, I said, Hey, how are you doing? And you said, I'm okay. How are you doing? And I said, I'm okay, but it doesn't matter how I'm feeling. And you being just the good person and friend and just being foul. And you said, no, how are you doing? I said, well, candidly, I'm feeling a little bit emotionally worn out today. And I'm also feeling guilty about feeling that way. And that going back a couple of weeks ago, I kind of felt like I didn't need to do more or do something different in my life. That if I was simply continuing to live the way that I've lived, me and my wife, the the intention that we've brought to raising our kids with where we live and and just how we approach our life and how we interact with the everyday world that I didn't need to do more. I didn't need to be posting or doing things that I maybe wasn't always doing. But then I started seeing really good friends of mine posting and, and calling on Facebook and other platforms for their white friends to be 
allies to be a little bit more vocal. And so I started to think, what am I not doing enough right now? And so I started to reach out to friends of mine, have conversations with them. Um, I started to sit in on some Zoom calls with friends and colleagues. And there were times where I felt like, am I doing enough on social media? Um, am I doing too much? And the one that I just had had the day before uh, we spoke was a Zoom call with a group of industry colleagues. There was a large group that was invited, and the people that happened to be available at that time, they were all either white, and there was a couple of uh, Asian um, people on that call as well. And I think the white people in that call felt a little bit more comfortable with sharing. Um, the, the stories that they shared were similar in that they or at times felt like, am I posting too much? Am I not posting enough? A couple of them mentioned the fact that they had uh, people of color in their family. One was had a black husband, but it felt like they shouldn't be sharing this now because it would feel uh, manufactured or forced or look, oh, I'm fine because I'm doing this. Um, and so I, I expressed that to you and you gave me the best bit of insight. So if you can share what you told me yesterday. <laughs> yeah, because um, I've been working with a couple of other people um, not working with, but just giving general insight. And even the meditation I had done that morning was just saying, cause I had the same concerns. Like, am I posting too much? Am I, am I just beating the nail on the head? And it's, it's important. What I said yesterday was just stay true to you. What is it that's in your heart to share? But at the same time, understand that as people of color right now, we are suffering. And this is our only insight to who our allies are on social and we don't know what you do behind your closed doors. And uh, frankly, it's not m m most of our business what everyone is doing behind their closed doors and, and who they're donating to, but it's important to at least share something to give us insight as people of color that you are speaking up and that, you're, uh, that you understand that we are suffering because collectively those voices are what are going to impact the change as we're seeing. It's like before it, we felt like we were the, we as people of color were battling this, these injustices by ourselves, and we were the only ones screaming and yelling. So it's it's great. We're grateful now to have more allied voices being amplified with us, and that's making the change that we're seeing now, and and le leading us to these delicious conversations that are very uncomfortable, not just for you, but for me as well. And as I have to still kind of monitor your feelings as well. I don't want to come down too harsh and I don't want to take you too easy. It's like, I have to find a sweet spot for each person to be like, this is my experience, but how can we work together now that you understand that and you still have, you have your privilege and power. How can we work together to leverage it and create a more beautiful union and nation that we love? Yeah, that's incredibly well said. Yeah, and it's so helpful for me yesterday um, and really has re-energized me. You know, I feel that sense of clarity of knowing, being true to myself, living my life, but also just remember that right now this is the only window. And so people are looking and they want to know. Um, so yeah, just being true to yourself. So thank you for that yesterday. So <laughs> we're going to get into a conversation about racial divide in the wedding industry, but I want to frame that. So let's talk a little bit about you. You you live in New York, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> like, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I live in Harlem and I love my apartment. <laughs> um, I like New York. I moved here 10, 10 years ago. 
um, fresh out of college um, to start my business. Had no idea who anyone was. Mm -hmm. Came here with like a couple hundred dollars and somehow have made it. That's everyone's story. You, you come to New York with a dollar and a dream. And right. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm grateful for the experiences that this I'm from Maryland originally, but okay. I was born in Mississippi. So I have deep Southern roots and a deep Southern family. Um, so I guess my upbringing was truly Southern in the background and elements of everything and experiences from my parents and parents, parents and parents all the way down to, of course, enslaved people. And, but I went to an HBCU. I grew up in Maryland in a predominantly white neighborhood and went to predominantly white schools. So there's the, you go home and you're hearing one thing. And then you're, when you're in school, you're interacting with people that don't look like you. And that's, you're living slightly a code switch life is what some people call it. Um, And that's why I chose to go to an HBCU to learn more about my history and my ancestors and culture and, and just those things. And how do I interact in a world that is kind of like, pardon, I live on fifth Avenue. So if you're hearing an ambulance, it's okay. COVID time. (laughs) Um, But my experience has been, how do I operate and, and, with myself as of course a person of color how do i how do i move strategically within white america to ensure that i stay alive and have a fruitful life and have experiences that are just as amazing as anyone else how old were you when you moved from mississippi to maryland there was a pit stop along the way. I'm, at three i left mississippi and we lived in memphis okay. for a while so i went to elementary school there and then during the Clinton administration is when we moved from, so I think I was nine years old and I moved from Tennessee to Maryland. Okay. And so living in a largely white community, going to a predominantly white school, um, what type of experiences did you have? And did you, I mean, you you mentioned that you would go back and forth between the your, say, white peers and friends to your um, black home and that there was this kind of uh, switching going back and forth. Did you live feeling very aware of, you know, I'm a black person in this community? Was it something in the forefront of your identity at that time? As I have to deep dive into my childhood memories, I don't think so. I don't think I was, I became aware, I think when it's, I think hair is the, the disconnect when your hair is different, when you look different. Um, it's also, I was called the N word when I was in middle school mm-hmm. and that was like a, I'm, wait, what? Like it, you're, you're kind of taking, cause you're so young. You're like, Whoa, and what you don't, you can't, as a child, you can't really digest that. Um, right. But also experiencing different outcomes with when you're in trouble And like being suspended for things that were so minuscule in comparison to what the punishments were for the white kids. It's like, what? (laughs) So it's like, I, I, my mom coming up to school saying, this is absolutely incorrect. She's, I'm not that type of person. Um, So just those just different outcomes for my life. But I was, I was privileged to, at, at the end of middle school, my mother sent me on a, 
a student exchange program to Paris. I was 13 years old and she sent me to Paris for two weeks by myself with high school kids that were white. And I was a student exchange with a white guy who was 16 years old in Paris. And he comes and stays with me. And I think that was kind of the opening of being in Paris and just being in France and outside of, out of, that was kind of the first time I realized race is way different in the rest of the world than here. And the treatment was, you don't notice it as much when you're outside of the U.S. And I think that's also what prompted me to go into destination weddings. It's just things are different when you step outside of the U.S. of A. And you might not know any better, right? If you're in that, that's your world. Yeah. Having that amazing experience. I mean, travel is one of the best educational tools that exist. And so going somewhere else and realizing, oh, where I am is different. This is different in comparison. But then, I mean, it brings, when you come back home, things are probably more amplified or you're realizing it more. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what led to me deciding to go to an HBCU. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a, I really wanted to go into law specifically. Mm -hmm. And in high school, I was a great student and I, I gravitated towards a lot of my teachers, which were all white and they would, they were very, they were mindful of what I wanted to do. So I still have books that my teachers gave me as graduation gifts. Like you're going to do great things. You're going to change the world. We believe in you. And the support from them alone was like, this is awesome. So my experience is different just because it's like, I had allies in high school, even though there's a different their treatment was different, but I was able to also recognize that my road was going to be difficult, but I needed to go to a school where people look like me so I could actually focus and learn a history about myself, become myself, learn myself and have more tradition and be more grounded to tackle on America as an adult. Right. And so what was it like for you going from your predominantly white high school to the HBCU? Was it was it a difficult transition or what was it like? It was, it, when I got there, I, I remembered just, I think my mouth was open for like a whole week because <laughs> I'd never seen so many black people in one place ever. And I was 18 like that. I, that was my first time ever. Just like, wow, they're all just here. So, it's like, And you don't have to monitor yourself. You don't have to, say something different. Everyone knows what you know. And yes, there were different experiences. Like that was my first time ever having pork chops. And like, so it's like, there were, cause I went to school in the South and yeah. I like going back to the South, even though in Maryland it's pseudo South, but I was still considered a northerner to people who were, I went to Clark right. university in Georgia. Okay. Um, and I, it, it was the best experience of my life. Um, awesome to say the least. I could talk about it all day. (laughs) It's like sororities and history and learning about Langston Hughes and just like now I live on, I live on 127th street in Harlem. Langston Hughes's house is like five houses down from me. Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. So So those, those triggers are, are meaningful to me. So yeah. (laughs) That's That's fantastic. I love that. Um, you mentioned a couple of these and, you know, I want you to be comfortable with what you do and don't share, but moments growing up that were moments of impact that impacted you, like you mentioned in, in middle school, middle school, hearing someone say that and being, I mean, that stuck with you, right? It impacted you. Um, 
even the the punishments being a little bit different and mom having to come to school, were there other moments that were moments of impact growing up um, that you you would share? My middle, my high school guidance counselor when I was applying to college. So I'm a little ADHD adjacent. So (laughs) although I'm a good student in the fact that I like to learn, I'm not a great test taker and just the rhythm of output of my education is different. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have really, really great grades. And my black male guidance counselor told me that I should just go to the local community college. There's no point in applying. Um, You're not, you're, you don't ha- your grades are not good enough for you to go to any school. So you might as well just stay home and look at a local job and just, just be comfortable with this because we don't see you doing anything better than what is here. <laughs> um, so that was like a ouch and <laughs> looking yeah. at it, but it's, it's pushing through and actually applying to school. I applied to all HBCUs and I got into every single one of awesome. HBCUs. So <laughs> it's like, I was like, Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, he was wrong. I did it. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, um, so after school, did you move to New York immediately after graduating? No, um, and I also want to preface that or say that I was the first person in my family to go to to graduate from college. So just having that alone, hold trying to hold my family up just on that level was interesting because financial aid and having to have conversations with other people about going to school and going out of state for school. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. You, it's like, I'm the first one to do it. So now I have to tell my children what that experience is like. Um, I, after college, um, I graduated with a degree in political science and I moved to DC. The concept was I was going to go to law school and work in politics. And so my brother lives in DC and I was, I just stayed with him for a while. I got a job at an Israeli aerospace company, which is a huge, interesting space. But I worked there for a year. And during that year, um, I got an apartment by myself. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm taking the LSAT. I'm applying to American GW. Um, and my friend invites me to her sister's wedding in Paris, France. And that's what led me down the tunnel of, oh, maybe I can do weddings and be an entrepreneur. Sounds like a good introduction to weddings too, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, not bad at all. So you've been working in planning for about 10 years. Uh, Talk a little bit about, I mean, you've gotten to a point now, I mean, speaking at Engage, but just the, the level of weddings that you're doing, the quality of the work is incredible. I mean, you're one of the best out there. So, um, yeah. And so talk a little bit about just um, your, your climb through, through weddings. Um, that was, that's been interesting um, <laughs> because when I first started, I had, I went to school for political science. I had no concept of how to coordinate an event. I'd helped a friend, but you're, I'm now having to teach myself a whole new skill set and also learn sales and business management and client relations. It's just like, whoa, <laughs> like I yep. went urban planning what like um, but I'm good at puzzles I'm great at spreadsheets so I it worked um it was interesting though because in the beginning 
it was, you're trying to find your clientele. And as a person of color, you're like, do I put my picture on my website? Do I just surprise clients when I get there? Like, ha, (laughs) (laughs) gotcha. So it was, it was trying to find, especially as a young woman who is still growing into herself. I wasn't confident in the beginning to know that like, are white people going to trust me to spend a hundred thousand dollars on their behalf? Right. You know, it's like having those conversations and learning to be confident with myself to say, absolutely, I can do this. So it took some time to just find my footing, to find vendors that I loved um, and to just find my voice. And I think now it's been 10 years and I'm now finally really confident with my messaging, what I look like with my hair natural and being just myself. Um, and that I've now seen the most growth in my business within the past two years, just by becoming more confident in who I am as a human. Um, yep. Yeah. I think that's something for all creatives in this industry that I've seen that there is an amount of time, even if you're doing incredible work, there's an amount of time that it takes to find your voice. Um, whether that is as a planner, photographer, whatever, um, you know, creative field that you're in. And then be confident enough to just be very transparent about this is who I am. This is what I do. And you usually see that once people get to that point, the the returns are exponential. You know, 100%. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something for me just recently within the last year and a half where I kind of said, okay, I, I learned how to fit into this mold and to look like everybody else. All right, now let me get back to actually enjoying shooting the way I want to shoot and not how everyone else is shooting because I have a fine art background. I did crazy weird stuff in school and and I didn't want to do what everybody else was just doing, you know? So, I mean, if if I hung up my stuff in the hallway and half the students walked by and scratched their head, then I was doing a good job. So to to be able to to just do what you want to do and do it the way that you want to do it, the returns are are incredible. So, yeah, I'm so happy for you to to be in that place. Thank you. Um, I, cause I've been reading like Seth Godin and it's like, find your tribe. He's amazing. I'm like, yeah. Seth, just be everything. Um, <laughs> and I, I finding understanding that I'm not for everyone and that my service isn't for everyone is okay. And I can add humor to things and I've done the ballroom weddings. I've done Spotify's parties with 2000 people, like, you know, like thousands right. of guests that need to sit down for dinner. I've done the big, I've done the little, and it's like, I now know that I like intimate. I like destination. I like right. intentional. I like guest experiences. So finally being okay with that and learning that I don't have to compare my business to those outside of me. It's like, that's yeah. your business. That's your lane. Live your life. Have fun. But yeah, I, I'm just really happy for this space. And yeah, and Engage was great for opening the door for that. It's like, I was like, oh, are they going to let me, a little black girl, speak? And then they said yes. And I was like, really? And then, <laughs> so having just the doors that opened from having those that talk was unimaginable. And even mm-hmm. just the webinar, it's like connecting with people and and knowing that I'm just, this is, this is all I got. I can only give you me, but I can give you my experience. I can tell you my story. But like I, I've been saying, I just want to work through this together collectively for sure. Yeah. You kind of just touched on this, but um, what kind of weddings are your jam? Small ones. <laughs> small, small, intimate. I like small, intimate. 
and small is is up for interpretation to a lot of people. I think anything sure. under a hundred guests is like my my sweet spot. Um, destination, the further the better. Um, I like working in New York. Um, ballrooms are just I'm not. It's uh, I like outdoor things. I like fresh air. Right. I like the outside. Um, and I think I'm. I don't want to call myself a minimalist. I'm open to multiple different design elements, but I would say I like things that are intentional and that there's a reason for everything to be in the space. And we look like we've, we've thought through some things, adding cultural aspects. If we're at a destination, what's, what culture are we, where are we and what are we taking advantage of while we're here? Not taking advantage of in a bad way, but what are we showcasing to the guests that may have never been to this country or part of the world before? Right. Um, do you think there is such a thing or that there should be such a thing as a separation between a white wedding and a black wedding? Or what is your take on that? No, because a wedding is a wedding. And I mean, if people are people, we're all going to, and sometimes yeah. a lot of my couples are mixed couples. One mm -hmm. party is black and one party is white. Um, as I was looking through pictures yesterday, I was like, wow, I've got like the whole union in here. <laughs> like, yeah. So a lot of my couples are mixed and it would be hard for me to say that I'm, I'm servicing one or the other. I like to do weddings. I like to do events right. and I like to plan life moments, no matter who they are for. I mean, right. if you're a murderer, maybe not, but you know, ultimately it's like, <laughs> if you're a good person, you're a good, you know, you want to be sustainable. You, you know, yeah. you want to celebrate your love. Let's do it. Um, yeah. and love is love. I, I know that a lot of people are like, well, but it's right. I think it's one right. emotion that we all understand, but still can't describe. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the divide in the industry where you might see people that fall into groups where they feel like they're a black vendor or they're not a black vendor. Uh, recently brides listed, they created a list of 100 black owned businesses and uh, for in, in, for in full frame, I did a, a repost of that. So I went through the Instagram accounts of all the photographers, all the planners, and I looked through them and busy, but go ahead. Yeah, busy. <laughs> so I mean, it was important to to see what we were sharing um, yeah. on that site. And so, you know, I consider myself a little bit of a wedding junkie. I love the industry. I love the people that are in it. I love to see what they're doing, what's getting published, what's being talked about. And so, to go through all the photographers that were on that list, I kind of would put them in three different groups. There were people that had incredible, massive followings, beautiful work, but not really my style or my jam, maybe not someone I would follow. There were people that were, you could tell a little bit newer, um, that are just getting into in the industry, which is fantastic. And then there were a group of people whose work was very much someone's work. I would follow that is very in line with the type of photos that I love who I had never heard of. And for someone that's on this all the time and is really, um, a self-proclaimed wedding junkie, it kind of, it really shed some insight to me. To, to, I think I told you this yesterday. There were accounts that I felt like you could take that top bar off of their name and picture, put someone else's on, and they would be on every list. Um, 
and so there's something something to that you know there's there's people that for whatever reason aren't getting the same recognition or or shine um, as others um, have you seen things like that yeah a hundred percent um and i i have my own kind of like even personal group chats and and i'm like guys like even art i'm just like i'm i admire so many people that haven't gotten their trophies yet and their awards yet um and that's unfortunate but at the same time i'm like everything happens in due time like even myself i wasn't on the brides list before i wasn't i wasn't on any of these things and then all of a sudden the webinar happens and last week happens and then everyone starts their my Instagram is full of messages that I'm like, I'm going to get to you in a second, but it's right. everyone wants, like everyone now wants you to write Vogue is like, Hey, and you're like, but where were you like three weeks ago? <laughs> like, right. So yeah, you see it. But I, at the same time, I will say I have been featured in Vogue before I have been featured in brides. I haven't been put on a list full throttle, but I can't say that my experience has been like, Oh my God, no one's looking. I have received, <laughs> received some love and, some, and my own trophies in my own way. But I know that there's still work I want to do just to be on, on more lists. But yes, I know that there are some people out there that I'm like, I, girl, you, I, you, like you said, right. I put your name out and put this in it. You would get 10,000 more followers in a week. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you don't have the answer, but why do you think that is? Why do you think that happens? The list come from the people that the editors know. And they mm -hmm. come from when you're in rooms like Engage or if you're at WIPA or whatever industry things you're at. And if there are no people of color, if there are no other diversities within that room, no one's ever meeting the editor to know, to get on the list. And then the vendors that are on, the vendors that work with those planners get the love trickle down because it's like, it's like a little pyramid. It's like editor. If you're not in the room with the editor, if you're not in the room with who knows the editor, you're not going to get seen. And you know, that's, that's, that's the luck of the draw, unfortunately. And, and I think that's why a lot of us are like, yes, a seat at the table, but a seat at the table and a little bit of the inclusion of, can you make me an introduction? <laughs> like, can you throw my name in the ring the next time the editor is like, hey, do you know another vendor that you think we should add? Or do you know another planner we should add? Maybe think outside of your immediate go-to circle and just yeah. just diversify your list, I think is the, yeah. the main thing. Yeah, and I've seen and experienced, specifically at Engage, you see groups. There are groups that are friends that a lot of those friends are people that are um, have the editor's attention or are quote unquote at the table. And I mean, physically, I would see just in just stand, standing back, you would see there's um, seven groups of white people over here. And then there's three black planners who are obviously have been friends before they all from the same city and they're over here. Right. And part of Engage is this constant walking around, saying hi, introducing yourselves, and that's not happening as much for people of color. And I think that there is an onus on the people that are in those groups 
um, that have the attention of editors that are getting published a, a lot to not just say hi, you know, and introduce themselves, but to say, hi, come over here, talk to us. It's, it's, it doesn't mean you have to say, here's the editor, editor, put this person in all your, po it just be here and say hello and, and normalize this and not just pass them by, right? hundred um, percent. Just be a nice person and include people. And I think there, there isn't a lot of that. Um, and there needs to be more of that. And, and I, and I can do better too. I know that I've had, I think in the past, a lot of times had separate conversations. I'll have friends that are people of color, or I'll see a group of people that are people of color that are isolated. And so I'll feel really good about myself walking up and saying, hi, how are you guys doing? I have their conversation. So it's me and, and their group, but then, all right, see you later. And I walk over to the other group. But what I can do better is say, hey, you guys, come over here. You know, it can be really casual. Yeah. And let's let's bring people in to our circles. Thank you. And and I will say, it's also like, even after, we, I think, after Engage, we fought, you sent me an email or something, and we hopped on a call. And I was like, dope. I like that. <laughs> so yeah. even those, like, follow-ups. And because I know that when we get the, when I get the book, it's like, I do want to mark the other three people that are black and be like, okay, I need to meet them first and see what they're doing. Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, who are the other people that I have to meet while I'm here? And I think just really, really focusing on, cause we don't want the connections to feel forced. We want the connections to actually feel authentic and that you think I can do like, bring me in, tell, tell me what you're thinking, or even just inquire, like, what, what are you looking for? What, what can we do to help? Or, and, and I, you, like, what, what can I do to add some, like, we were talking about business, like, how can we work together? What can we do together? Right. And that, I think that having those conversations about how can we build this together um, is going to be fruitful. And, and that's what we're all looking for. Like, bring me in, bring me, bring the inclusion. And then also say like, all right, how are we going to make magic together now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a balance too, right? For some of us, we have to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone to yeah, yeah. make those connections. But then also, like you just said, those connections need to be genuine and not forced, right? Um, as, as an example, well, when you uh, spoke at Engage last, there was like the pool party. And I don't know if it was right after you had spoken, but I wanted to go and say hi to you for the first time. I hadn't said hello in person yet. And I noticed that like, you could not just sit in the pool and just chill and have your drink and everybody was on you. And I was like, Oh my God, that looks so terrible. You know, like I'm not going to go and just like, like wait my turn, like force my interaction. You know, like, that's, not, that's not real. And that's not genuine. So there's, you know, there's a balance there between as an individual, push yourself out of your comfort zone, maybe talk to someone that as a photographer, you don't feel like, oh, that person might hire me or not. It doesn't need to be about that. It needs to be about genuine, real relationships and interactions, Yeah. right? Because it's not about what we can give or get also all the time. It's, or not mm -hmm. most of the time, it really should just be like learning people and, and do I vibe with you? Because um, mm -hmm. I'm huge on the vibe and that's usually what's gravitating me at Engage or larger conferences. It's like, who am I vibing towards? Because those are the people I really want to spend more time with and have and can, and share energy with, especially if we're going to work together. And you never know what can come out of those types of those types of interactions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't need to be 
you will benefit indirectly. Just being, I mean, this is life. You just be a good person and don't worry about what you're going to get out of something. And undoubtedly things will come back to you. So even if you, yeah, even if you are really, really selfish, but you're really, really smart, pretend to be a nice person, right? That's my (laughs) advice for today. Everyone, no. Um, But yeah, just be nice to people and it it just comes back. Even if it's not that person, they have friends, they're going to talk to people. They're going to say, this person's a real genuine person. I might never work with them because they're not my style, but their planner friend who's a planner friend might hire you for the the best, biggest wedding you ever shoot, which might change your business. You never know who's sitting on, you know, that million dollar client. You never know. You have to to put on the smile for everyone, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. do, do you have anything in the world? <laughs> I think we solved all of them. I think we're we're done. Um, no, I think everything that I've been saying, even just from the video that I put up post engage, is like because we all have questions and we all want a solution. And I think what I said was we don't have we we're doing the undone. We we're doing a lot of things that have not been done before. So we need to yeah. all be patient with each other. And we need to continue having these conversations, continue to be uncomfortable. 2020 has made it clear that (laughs) she is shaking things up. So buckle up. (laughs) Um, But I think it is important for us just to keep having the conversations and to get out of your own way. And also remember this, you know, some folks are struggling right now and just be, be, be gentle. <laughs> um, and yeah. put up a post that lets us know you're an ally, so we don't put you on the bad, the naughty list. <laughs> Christmas is getting cold, so yeah. Right. <laughs> and then also, and because you said something to uh, to me like this yesterday, along these lines, have the conversations with your friends and people that you would normally not speak to, but also be okay and understand that the an- there is not an answer, right? So you're going to hear different things. One friend is going to tell you one thing. One friend is going to tell you another thing. That's okay. That doesn't mean stop in your tracks. That means just keep listening and keep talking. Everyone's different, and there is no one single, this is how we do it, because like you said, this has never been done. So we're all in this together. We're all figuring it out, and your intentions are really, really important but right now your actions are also very important. Extremely, extremely. So keep at it and meditate if you need to and take a break from social if you need to. But I have been more impressed by the people that are calling and sending the notes and really looking to connect one-on-one because that's when you're able to say, that's it's more of a safe space. It's more comforting. It's like, yeah. yes, I'm grateful for the people who are posting and sharing and all of that, but I'm more of an introvert person where it's like, I want to tell me how you're feeling and how are you processing this so I can understand you. And then I want you to understand where I'm coming from in my experience so that together you now have my intellectual property. I have your intellectual property. I'm now able to communicate more effectively to other white people. And it's like, great. Now I have the skill set. We can work together and let's build together. We have to do this together or we're all going to be divided again. And that's a lot we want. Fallon, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation, for being honest and candid and vulnerable. I gained a lot from it. I hope that a lot of other people listen and gain a lot from it as well and go out and have their own conversations. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. Cheers and have a delicious week.